You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Rommel yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, special midweek edition time, beer barrel time. I'm going to call it the beer barrel until you other bastards who run these schools figure out to get your heads out of your tailpipes and call it what it should be called time. Don't get me started on how mad I'm. I, I still am about that time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a uh, slightly chilly but but pleasant uh, Wednesday afternoon here in God's Own Knoxville, Tennessee, a couple miles away from Neyland Stadium, 1.9 miles actually from Neyland Stadium. But that is not where the Vols will be this weekend. The Tennessee Volunteers football team will be up in Lexington, Kentucky on the frozen blue tundra of Kroger Field to play the Kentucky Wildcats in uh, the the annual beer barrel game, which it still should be called. I'll say that again, and I'll keep saying that until I'm Kentucky blue in the face because I'm right about that. I could talk about that. I, I, I really could spend this entire podcast, whatever it is, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it is, just discussing that one topic. But you don't want to hear that. Y'all know where I stand on that. And we'll still, since I know it's Wednesday, uh, guys, and usually we have the Thursday edition. We're still going to have a Thursday edition of the podcast, but uh, we'll probably have it with Grant Ramey. Haven't squared things away with him in terms of what time we'll record it tomorrow, but I, I imagine it'll be Grant. He might still be in a, in a foggy haze from the Braves World Series win, but we'll still have that. But what we're going to do in this edition, we're going to mix it up a little bit. We're going to have some fun. We're going to do what we did last year, which is go on up to the frozen blue tundra of Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, be joined by Cat's Paws, Derek Terry, a, a guy who uh, we've had on this podcast before. We did it last year. We like Derek a lot. We trust sports writers with two first names around here, uh, and, and the 24-7 Sports Network is big and wide and big, bad nationwide, and uh, we, we, we should do this more often, to be honest with you. We do it for some weeks. We don't do another's, but we're going to do it this week um, because it's, it's Beer Barrel Week. It's a big week for both teams, and, and honestly, now you can chat a little bit about basketball before it starts up, too, with Tennessee and Kentucky going to be competing with each other probably for an SEC title again, as they have most years recently. So there's plenty to discuss, but let's let's dispense with the pleasantries and go ahead and welcome on in Derek Terry. Derek, what are you doing, my man? What's up? Hanging in there, Wes. Uh, I was complaining to you about my Reds before you got on here. I got to complain at least once a day, and you just happened to catch the brunt of it the news coming out right before uh, I hopped on here. You know, I, I, I make at least um, at least every other year, sometimes consecutive years, sometimes at least every other year. But I usually go see at least one of the Cubs like 15 games a year, it seems like, at, at Great American Ballpark. And I was at one this year. My, my wife and I went, uh, even though she, you know, being pregnant, can't, can't, uh, can't have the beers that she would like to have at the game. Uh, so she has to just watch me drink them because I'm a selfish bastard. And and uh, but we went. And we saw the the Cubs play the Reds. Did not go so well uh, with the uh, with former Cub Nick Castellanos coming up with the big hit and the Reds and and Votto hitting the big double there late in the game. And uh, and they won that game against the hapless Chicago Cubs this year. That was before we had to go this year because it was before 
we knew the trade deadline might be bad. Not as bad as it turned out to be, um, but knew it wasn't going to be good probably. They just had that 11-game losing streak, and I actually think the game we went there was was it was in that winning in that losing streak. So uh, it was like, got to go see these guys one last time, you know, because a lot of them, I'm not sure when I'm going to see them play in blue again, at least not cubby blue. Uh, so we went there. The Reds ruined it. It took me forever to get out of the parking garage at the end of the game. I think the people of Cincinnati and the greater Cincinnati region – can uh, can kiss my tailpipe for their uh, their their traffic flow management. You know, a lot of times we don't have to do this as sports writers because we go out of games like three, whatever, two, three, four hours after games, and there's nobody left, so we just cruise on home. But when we have to live like the like the peasants, like the common folk, and we have to drive out of these things right as they're at, right as we're leaving, like everybody else is. I'm like, how do these people do this? what is wrong with these people? Like I got to pee. I didn't do that before I left. I didn't think about that. And I got to get like three and a half hours home anyway. This is, this is madness, man. I don't know how people do that. But anyways, uh, I, I do dislike the, uh, the Cincinnati Reds quite, quite a bit. Uh, my dad's a fan, but uh, my mom's side of the family, more Cubs people, great uncle played for managed the Cubs. I'm a Cubs guy. always have been uh, my whole life. So uh, that's why you're wearing that Expos hat right now. Well, I got this actually because I think this is one of the five greatest baseball caps of all time. <laughs> the Montreal, the Montreal Expos hat is a is a classic, classic. And today I had to go was running some errands and I had a blue shirt on, so I was like, you know what, I'm gonna rock this Expos cap today. I don't, I'm gonna I'm gonna change it up a little bit. I love this thing. This is if, if you've never seen the the if you're one of the twelve year olds listening to this podcast and you've never seen a Montreal Expos hat, first off, you've done life badly to this point. Your parents did not raise you correctly, but the Expos hat is. Just one of the classics, one of the top five all time in, in sports history, in my opinion. Nonetheless, Derek, we got a lot to discuss on this podcast. We'll probably talk a little hoops at the end because why not? Because we got Tennessee and Kentucky here, so we can't not talk hoops, right? I mean, that would be that would be highly unusual. But primarily we're here to talk about football because it is the beer barrel week. Tennessee will be going up to Kentucky. And and I gotta be honest, Derek, as someone who has if you had there are like three teams in college football this year that if I if you had taken my weekly picks with them playing, you would have lost your house and your car by now, and your wife probably would have left you, and you would be sitting in a pit of misery somewhere. And, and Kentucky's one of those teams. Kentucky there and Wisconsin. It seems like every single week I get it wrong on Kentucky and Wisconsin. And, and just when I'd given up on Wisconsin, they got a big win. And just when I'd said, you know what, this Kentucky team is flawed. It's just flawed, but it just finds a way to win. It's a lot of old dudes on this team, a lot of grown men on this team. They just find ways to win ugly. And I, it was just last week when I had said, you know what, I'm throwing my hands in the air. I, I, I don't know why. The metrics don't add up to me, but I'm picking this this team this week. And uh, blew up in my face. Because what, can, what I thought Tennessee could do to Kentucky, Mississippi State did a week early. What in the wide world of hell happened down there in Starkville? I know it's never been a, a kind place to Kentucky, and they go there a lot, but I just – that was bad. Yeah, I think you see the effects of not only turnovers, but turnovers in, in probably the worst possible spots in a game and also field location. You know, UK's first drive, you know, Levis throws a pick to an open Wondell Robinson. If he throws the ball a bit better, it's probably a first down about at about the five where he potentially scores. Instead, uh, it gets picked off because it's underthrown. And um, 
Plus, they played so poorly that like people forget. At least I did during the game. That UK was up ten to zero yeah. in this game after yeah. uh, punt return for a touchdown by Josh Ali, and then they had a, a field goal attempt that was good by Matt Ruffalo. And then after that, it was pretty much all bad from there. Mississippi State uh, drove right down the field, scored twice, I think two consecutive drives, and then UK uh, managed to get the ball back before half. Levis has a chance to hit Josh Ali for a touchdown. Yep. He overthrows him just a little bit. So instead of 17-14, um, well, the score remained remained 14 to 10 at that point. Uh, they get a first down, and then I think they're I don't I think there's under 30 seconds. I'm forgetting how much time was left, but Levis threw a pick again on the goal line. Uh, pass that was intercepted on the goal line. So at minimum, you feel like you know you should get a field goal attempt there, and at worst, you're down by one point. But if he makes a couple more throws. You know, you've probably got a couple of touchdowns, longer passes, so that's not a narrative anymore like it, like it has been now since it's been so long um, since they've completed downfield passes in this offense. But then the second half, that's, I mean, the third quarter. I think UK, I mean, they went back-to-back possessions, turnovers. Uh, one was on second down. The next one was the very next drive right after. So it goes from 14-10 to 10 to 31-10, and that was really all she wrote. Um you know, Kentucky got the ball back in the fourth quarter down 31-17. Got one first down, I think, on first down, and then had to punt. Stoops punted down two touchdowns with eight minutes left, which I thought was questionable at the time, considering UK had not stopped them all day. Yeah, Turned out to be right because UK, didn't, they didn't get the ball back. Uh, Mississippi State kept it the, the rest of the game. So that world, pretty much that, was one of those games. Yeah, yeah that world-around ball control offense that Mississippi State has. <laughs> It was the other night. They had it for, uh, I think, 41 minutes. Um, yeah, 41 minutes compared to 18. I think Kentucky only had the ball for about five minutes in the second half. Um, Will Rogers set an SEC record for completion percentage, 36 to 39. When I went back and rewatched it, I, I didn't watch the whole game. I, I tried to get through it. Um, was doing some other things. But, I mean, I, I think they got a really good game for Mississippi State. I think you got to tip your hat to those guys. They played really well. I mean, Considering it was an SEC record and they've been playing SEC football for a really, really long time, yeah. I can't imagine Will Rogers ever has a better game than that um, than what he had against yeah, and, Kentucky. And he was so. and he was dinged up too. He had like an ankle that was bothering him. Yeah. He just he just he he was in a groove, man. It was he hit everything. Of course, you wonder how much the the secondary for Kentucky allowed that because I mean it's not like every receiver was wide open, but there were some wide open receivers. And you know Stoops has played against that air raid offense so much, and he's known Leach for so long that I just wonder what Leach did to sort of trip him up a little bit because normally he's got a pretty good the, – the, the, in generally speaking, good defenses, and I think Kentucky statistically does have a good defense despite some holes here and there. It's a good defense. Most people have figured out now that if you just drop eight against that uh, the air raid, that it, 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 it doesn't go well for the air raid. It's not built for that. Like it, it just – it doesn't – it doesn't have the success. It you know, there's more incompletions, more turnovers, and it it just seemed like. And I think Stoops even was confident in their game plan going into it. Just what went wrong? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the swing passes gave him trouble. I mean, it happened a little bit, not to the same extent, but Connor Bazelak early in the year against UK, those kind of quarterbacks that don't take a whole lot of chances, they kind of just take what's there. I mean, Bazelak to a lesser extent kind of picked him apart doing that as well. Um, didn't he forced? I wouldn't even say forced it. I think Jacquez Jones just made a really good play against Missouri to get an interception, uh, which helped UK win that game. But Rodgers, I mean, he kind of took what was there. Um, probably a big thing that I would say caught Kentucky by surprise is Mississippi State ran the ball 35 times. They didn't run it 
crazy effective. They were, I mean, UK held them to 2.7 yards per rush, but there was enough balance there, I think, for for a team. I, I can guarantee Kentucky did not expect Mississippi State to run the ball as well as it did, uh, and or probably the volume that it did. But also, I mean, they had three uh, three red zone rushing touchdowns. So they got down there near the goal line. And, I mean, you're talking about Stoops, you know, being familiar. UK was you – know, Mississippi State did not score an offensive touchdown against UK last year. I think it was the first time in Leach's career that he had coached in a game that his offense did not score a touchdown. And UK had six interceptions last year, which helped. Um, yeah, that helps. That'll different team this year. Uh, that's a big problem in general with UK is – I talked about the turnovers offensively. Defensively, they've only forced four tur- four turnovers all season through eight games. And last year, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this remembers the Tennessee game. UK had four turnovers in the first half on yeah. defense against Tennessee. And they had six the week before against Mississippi State. So – not only are they – I mean, that's, that's how you end up with the turnover margin at minus 12, the worst in the country. Um, not not making enough plays uh, defensively. And I know some some turnovers, you know, some of it has to do with luck. Maybe a ball bounces your way. But I don't know, man. In general, I got to think that at that point in the year, you would hope you'd put yourself in a better spot to, to come away with some turnovers more than what UK has this year. Yeah, Kentucky's third quarter against Mississippi State had shades of Tennessee's second quarter against Kentucky last year. It didn't have pick sixes, but it had just some really game-changing turnovers and bad times, and Chris Rodriguez just can't hold on to the ball to save his life these days. I'm I'm convinced something is bothering him in his upper body or else he just would not be – he's a big, strong guy, and he didn't fumble a lot before. I don't know why he would just all of a sudden be a guy who fumbles all the time. So something's going on there, but – I think it's interesting, and I wrote this this yesterday. Um, well, a couple of things. First thing, I think I read somewhere that Kentucky did not do pass de- or did not do rush defense periods in practice at all last week, which is crazy. But if you're playing a Mike Leach team, I guess I sort of get that. You know your base run principles, and you just stick to those because you think you're going to face a team that's going to throw up fifty or sixty times in a game. So that's what you do. But and it it, it didn't work out. Got out, got out schemed. Just happens sometimes. It happens to every coach. Um, but what, what's weird to me is, and I wrote this uh, for I believe for Tuesday this week was that for for perspective on Kentucky's turnover margin problems, there are 130 teams in FBS football. Just six of those teams have a turnover margin of minus one or worse. Just six in the whole country have it worse than minus one. Kentucky's at minus 1.5. Kentucky's last in all of FBS football by like, you know, 0.12 or 0.13 per game. That is a statistical outlier to end all statistical outliers. That's like one of those things, you know, like a save percentage in hockey or something where like a little margin means a hell of a lot. And I, I, I just can't, it's hard to, to figure out how a team that is more talented than it's been for obviously most of the past decades. I mean, we, we know that and then they're recruiting well now and they're going to get even more talented probably, but still a team that if you were looking at pure talent on paper would probably not be in the top half of the league. I don't think, I mean, there's a couple NFL guys on there for sure. And some of them are really good players, but you, you take a team that's not one of the, not on the top shelf, at least talent wise in the league. And, and then you look at that turnover margin on top of it, and then you look at the pass offense being 101st nationally, and you sit there on paper and you go, how in the hell 
is this team 18th in the country and was 12th in the country last week and had beaten some good football teams. You've covered this. How has that happened? Because on paper, it does not add up. Yeah, I think that's a question everyone's kind of asking this week is like, how how good is this team? Because, uh, you know, the Missouri game, I mean, I'm just going to throw out Chattanooga game was another one of those cases that, you know, on the score, they, they barely won. I think they more or less treated that game like a scrimmage. They really – I mean, you're talking about Rodriguez earlier. I think the signs are definitely there that something could be physically or some something else is bothering because he didn't start that game. They really didn't try to run the ball at all. So, they already got away from what they typically do, you know, first establish the run game, then use the play-action pass. They just came out slinging against Chattanooga. And, you know, whenever they needed to run the ball, it was really hard for them to get that going. Um, but against Missouri – that was a game in particular that if they don't turn the ball over, I mean, they, they probably would have, I'm not saying they would have beat Missouri the way Tennessee beat Missouri, but they, they easily, I mean, they should have been up three touchdowns in the first half, but Rodriguez fumbled literally right on the goal line, tennis or uh, Missouri recovered and uh, ended up coming back after that. And uh, South Carolina was another game that if, if South Carolina had a better offense, it might've gone the same way that that Mississippi state game went because UK turned it over, I think three times, another one of those where it was consecutive, times uh on possessions and that uh, might have been in the fourth quarter whenever they try i can't remember exactly when they turned those over but the defense played really well that night i know south carolina's you know having a hell of a time doing anything on offense this year so that helps um, honestly i think playing an opponent like that that was not very good and couldn't really take advantage of that certainly helped but against florida it was it was kind of an old school football game i guess i would say yeah it was for sure at least from uk's end where the offense did not play well at all but they got just enough i mean wandell had a Really impressive 41-yard screen pass he took back to, for a touchdown. And then the defense forced some turnovers. They had a special teams block. Uh, Trevin Wallace ran it back for a touchdown. And then Weaver got the pick, set set the offense up pretty well, and they scored to go up 20-10, to 10, and then they held on at the end. So the defense really stepped up, played a great game. And then the one game you look at if you're trying to figure out the potential is the LSU game because that's the one game this year that they really came out from start to finish and, and played a really good game. Yeah, they looked really good that day. Forced a turnover to, on LSU's first drive, went right down and scored. Um, got up. I think they were up 35-7 in the fourth quarter in that game, and LSU added a couple touchdowns there late, and then Kentucky went down and, and scored. Um, and then those last two weeks, I mean, no one no one surprised that they got you know beat pretty bad by Georgia. That's going to happen to most teams this uh, this season. And yeah. then, so I think last week was the first one where you saw everything kind of catch up to them. You know, maybe there have been some questions about the defense here or there in some games. Maybe people – I don't know. I don't know about the term smoke and mirrors. Like I, when I'm trying to figure out this Kentucky team, I, got, I do think it's talented. I think Levis brings a different dimension than what they've had the past few years. But he definitely got sped up at, at Mississippi State. He, he reverted that game. If you go back and watch him against LSU and even – I thought against Georgia was his best game of the season. His numbers in terms of passing yards weren't great, but – yeah, I think he threw for 192 on 32 of 42 completions, but he was fitting the ball into some tight windows, making really good decisions. I don't – in terms of just pure decision-making, he was – I don't want to say flawless against Georgia, but he was very good. And Kentucky had – I mean, you know, we're you have to grade that performance on a scale just because – or sure. on a curve just because of how good Georgia is. Like, that's, UK had that's two 100, That's 100% drives. fair, yeah. That's 100% fair. Yeah, like UK had two scoring drives against Georgia, and it took them right to the very end of the game. That was – a Big controversy that UK took a timeout there with like five <laughs> seconds left and scored. But I mean, 
I, I think people came out of the bye week feeling like, I know I did feeling like the offense was set to take a a step forward. And then it, you know, went really poorly. So that's what I'll be watching this week is kind of does the offense get back on track? I mean, like you said with Rodriguez, it's an odd situation. I, I don't I don't know what's going on. Stoops is not Stoops is like most college football coaches. I mean, he's not going to give anything. He doesn't have to in yeah. terms of injuries. Um, so I, I do think the best way for UK to win this game is to dominate time of possession, control the run game, hit some big plays in the passing game, but it's been so long since they've done that that you kind of wonder what happened to it. Yeah, and I can tell you right now, time of possession is something that Josh Heupel just does not care about. So, I mean, he, he Tennessee is now – fast it's now overtaken Ole Miss it's the fastest offense in college football it's like 2.9 something plays a minute I think it, it's and that's including the times when they're trying to burn clock to end games like when they really run it the way they want to run it it's like just a few seconds after the, like a second or two after the ball's put down I mean it's it's an insane pace but before we go to break and, and, and talk about Tennessee and Kentucky in this matchup in particular the last thing I wanted to hit on there with last week is, is you talked about Levis reverting a little bit. How much – you watched some of the film. Obviously, you're not a coach, neither am I, but you've been around this game long enough. You see things, you notice things. How much of that was Levis and how much of that was maybe some of the protection up front? Maybe – I know State throws a lot of different things at you defensively. Did they just – did they get to him and rush him more, speed him up? What? How much of that was him and how much of that was something he couldn't control? I think the the protection was okay in general. Um, you know, statistically, they did not allow a sack, but uh, that doesn't always, I guess, paint the full story. I mean, he there is a former UK player who played in the NFL named Van Hiles. He played for mm-hmm. UK in the eighties or uh, the nineties. I don't want to age him too much. <laughs> he played in the nineties and he does film breakdowns. And uh, he was going through dissecting the offense and the plays were there. It's not. I don't think it's a scheme. I don't think it's a play calling issue. It's. I mean, the plays are there to be made. Uh, if Levis makes the right reads and throws it. Kentucky still has a big – and I, I came on the podcast uh, last year and talked about this. As it turned out, the way that that game went, it didn't really matter that much. Um, but Kentucky, outside of Wondell Robinson, there's still a pretty big talent defi- deficiency at wide receiver. And I, I, I think they're getting that corrected. I, I would guess next year's wide receiver room will be – much better. They might not have a star, you know, a very clear, obvious number one like Wondell, but I think top to bottom the room will be much improved. But for this year, I mean, he's had a uh, a knack, I guess you could say Levis has, of, of locking on to Wondell and really trying to force him the ball. And he's a great player. I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea to try to get him the ball as much as he can just because he can make some exciting things happen and he can do some things that no one else on the team can do. But with that said, there are other receivers open. Um, that he's just missing right now. And that's, that's the thing about the Georgia game. He spread it around pretty well that game. I think seven guys had at least two catches. Yeah, Ali, Ali's not a bad player. I mean, he's not a star, but he's not a bad player. Yeah, Ali's fine. Like, he's he's better suited in this role. Like, he was wide receiver one last year, and that's – he probably wouldn't be anywhere else in the conference besides, I don't know, maybe Vanderbilt. But number two is, is, is better for him. But, he, you know, he missed some games this year. He's back healthy now. Um, but he was out for LSU and uh, Georgia. So – Levis, you mentioned the passing offense, and it's – yeah, you're right. It's it's 101st, but I can tell you just from watching every game, and it's hard to, I guess, explain, it still does feel different. I think they're more creative for sure in how they get the ball to players, but they don't run a ton of plays. That's a big problem, first and foremost, because they 
turned the ball over sometimes. And then there were games they just didn't really play that well on offense, and they had a lot of three and outs against Florida in particular. They didn't run a whole lot of plays. Um, but, you know, already this season, nine guys have caught a touchdown, which is the most in the Stoops era in terms of individual players have caught a touchdown. Uh, Levis is pretty easily um, – I don't know if he'll end up, excuse me, I don't know if he'll end up passing for more yards um, than what Patrick Tolles did in 2014, but he's definitely going to throw more touchdowns. And statistically, I think it's going to look like a pretty decent season compared to where UK has been, but, you know, not getting enough yards per attempt, really. I mean, every he's not thrown for more than 200 yards yet in an SEC game, and he's only got, you know, two chances left to do that. So, like I said, I felt like he was close to turning the corner, went down to Starkville, no UK team has played well there under Stoops. So what we'll have to see going forward is if that was a sign of things to come or if it was just kind of a blip on the radar down here uh, these last few games. I think that's a good place to end the first segment. We Because I want to talk more about specifically the matchup with, with Tennessee because I think there are lots of interesting things about this series or about this the matchup of these two teams and 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 that's not even taken into account that Tennessee's just had a bye week to finally get healthy because it has a desperate lack of bodies in some areas and then a Kentucky team that that finds a way most of the time but last week the seams kind of came off a little bit but there's a lot of you even take that out of the equation there's a lot of interesting matchups in this game stylistically strengths and weaknesses and I think it's it's one of the more fascinating matchups of the year for me that, that Tennessee has, certainly. So let's go to break. Let's step away, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, other fun things. And we will come back and discuss more Tennessee-Kentucky with our good friend of the pod, Derek Terry, from Cat's Paws. Back in a second, guys. Hashtag ad. Money! eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago during that commercial break. We don't have a presenting sponsor for this episode, so I guess I'll just say it's presented uh, by French's Mustard, the official the official artillery provider of Tennessee athletics. 
since October 2021. Seems like a good sponsor. That, that, that's a good fake sponsor for this podcast. We'll go with that one. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, uh, joined by our friend Derek Terry from Cat's Paws, which is the Kentucky side on the 24-7 Sports Network. Tons and tons of good work those guys do throughout the year covering UK hoops, UK football, recruiting, all UK baseball, et cetera, everything, all of that stuff. We're enjoying this conversation. We're going to pick it right back up in just a second. Before we do that, though, guys, if you could take about 60 to 90 seconds out of your day right now and go in there and and go subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening on the website, guys, that's fine. We love you. Like Ron Swanson with alcohol, there is no wrong way to consume the Go Balls 24-7 podcast. But what really helps us out is if you go in there on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can cast the fine pod, you can find this very Go Balls 24-7 podcast. And if you hit that subscribe button and you rate and review, that helps us out more than anything. We do this for free and we're happy to do it. It's a labor of love. But the one thing we ask is that you rate, review, and subscribe. So please, please go do that. Also, congratulations to the uh, Atlanta Braves. I know that represents a, a, a good portion of uh, the subscribers to Go Vols 24-7, it seems, and a, certainly a, a, a disproportionately large number of our of our staff. We've got, I think, three Braves fans of the five people that are on the staff. So congratulations to them begrudgingly. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't have done it without Jorge Soler. So you're welcome. You're welcome for that. That's a cub for life, just FYI. Talking Tennessee, Kentucky football now again with our good friend Derek Terry of Cat's Paws. Derek, I'm of two minds with this, this game because Mississippi State in a lot of ways did what I thought Tennessee might do to Kentucky. I thought looking at the matchups, I said, you know what? Kentucky does not want to get in a scoring fest. It doesn't want to get in a track meet. It's got some suspect corners. Tennessee can sling it. They've got three or four receivers, actually five or six receivers, who are pretty darn good players and can get behind you for big plays. Tennessee's got a couple of running backs who are good players, a quarterback who can get out in space and do some damage. And Tennessee has been very, very good all season. I think Brian Robinson from Alabama is the only running back all season to get more than 100 yards. Like Tyler Beatty, a lot of other good players, the Florida guys. Tennessee shut those guys down. So that is a good portion of what Kentucky wants to do offensively. And Tennessee's good at stopping that. What Tennessee's not good at stopping is quarterbacks who run around. That's, that's where Tennessee's defense gets into trouble. But in terms of just running the ball right at them with power, Tennessee's been pretty good about that. And I think Elijah Simmons has a chance to come back in this game. He hasn't played in a long time. The, uh, the sophomore fire hydrant there on the nose who's a really good player. We'll see what's going on with him this week. But I think if he can come back and join Butler and those guys, I think Barron and Young off the edge are really good players. What I'm trying to say is I really like this matchup for Tennessee, and I am 100% going on the record right now and telling you this. I was going to pick Tennessee 100% in my mind to win this game. Now I'm not sure because of what happened to Kentucky last week because Kentucky is a pretty decent team too, pretty solid team. I mean, let's, let's not disrespect. That was the number 12 team in the country last year or last week. Now it's number 18 in the country. But Kentucky had some flaws, and except for the Georgia game, it had overcome those flaws and won games. Last week it learned the hard way that it has to correct some things because last week it got embarrassed a little bit. Last week the chickens came home to roost. And I know there's a lot of old guys on that team, a lot of experience on that team, and Stoops has been in that program for a while, too. Those guys are a like-minded bunch up there. I wonder if they will rally those troops, come back to Kroger Field, where they've been good all season, 
and play a much better football game. So I've got two, Derek, I've got two really conflicting thoughts here that just don't match, which is one, if this is on neutral field or kneeling, I'm still picking Tennessee 100% because of the matchups. I don't think Kentucky wants to play the game the way Tennessee wants to play it. And the way Tennessee goes offensively, it can dictate tempo in a lot of ways. Uh, that's why Ole Miss went down with whatever 17 or whatever injuries it was during the game. You know, and that's a team that goes really fast too, but they, they needed to slow down Tennessee at some critical spots and get subs on the field. But because of what happened last week, now I'm torn. Is that weird? Um, I mean, you know, UK, it wasn't – like I was talking about the South Carolina game, it wasn't necessarily the, the first time they looked really shaky. But, you know, they did find a way, like I mentioned, because South Carolina – I think mostly because South Carolina is really bad. Uh, and the defense played well. I want to tip my hat to UK's defense. But I, I agree somewhat with, with, with the matchups. I agree. I mean, Tennessee's offense, they've basically scored on everyone. Um at least a little bit. Some games, obviously, like Missouri, much more than others. South Carolina was Fl- another really Florida, good offense. Florida, they left a bunch of points on the field. Yeah, Florida's the one game that I, I look – I didn't get a chance to watch any of that game, but I, obviously the final score was 24. But it's always hard just to look at box scores and try to figure out how a game went. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think cornerback, to me, is probably the biggest issue on the whole team. I was talking about wide receivers earlier. Like, at least the wide receivers have a guy like Wondell who can kind of – I wouldn't say bail you out, but he's like a true NFL talent at wide receiver. Whereas this cornerback group, I think I wrote it in the Q and A I did uh, for your all site. Like now that I sit here and really examine it, you know, there are two corners last year. Uh, both are in the NFL. I mean, Brandon Eccles was starting against the Bengals for the Jets the other day, and mm-hmm. Kelvin Joseph just got activated, second round pick last year. I mean, that's a, that's, and then they lost two guys to the transfer portal, and both of those guys ended up at Power Five schools, which for a lot of these other kids who have left UK, like most of those kids do not go Power Five. So there were at least a few other Power Five schools that saw interest um, or saw potential in those corners that left. So that was a group that I really think until it got into the season that I didn't, maybe didn't take into account just how much they lost at corner. And I think this group is, is honestly probably about as weak of a group as they've had since like the early Mark Stoops days, I, w- I would go back to probably 2014. I mean, it's probably in comparison there. I think Carrington Valentine's got a chance to be a pretty good player, but he's just a sophomore. He's typically matched up against the number one wide receiver. He's had some some tougher games this year, but he's also done a good job. It's the other corner spot where they kind of rotate Cedric Dort and Quandre Mosley, and they don't really have any depth at all at corner. So that's an area that they'll definitely have to address. They're doing it in recruiting, but also in the transfer portal. But, uh, yeah, with the way Tennessee plays, I know, you know, they want to establish the run first and foremost. I don't know what the health status is for Evans. but uh, uh, Neither do we because Heupel never talks about injuries. He, 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 uh, it's not like um, Chip Kelly where he just refuses to mention them, but he'll be very, very nice and not answer your question. And, and he'll say some words. They're just not words that actually answer the question that you were, that you were asking. So, bottom line – Evans is probably good enough to play in this game, but we'll see if he's 100%. And, and small, too, his shoulder is going to be an issue all year, but he's a good player. What you talked about, though, I think what you're probably getting at is maybe the resolve of UK's team after taking a loss like that. Like you mentioned, I mean, at one point this season, they were starting 10 seniors on defense, and now through injuries and just some natural uh, development from some younger guys who maybe overtaken some other players, they, it's a little bit more balanced class-wise. But – um, this this is a this is a monster game 
for Kentucky. I know it is for Tennessee too, but for UK, I think there is a sense, at least from the fan base, that like if you lose three games in a row after starting six and zero, regardless of what happens after this game, because I think they got a great chance to win out, regardless of what happens against Tennessee. I very much think that they'll beat New Mexico State, Vanderbilt, and Louisville. Um, this is a chance to, to to finish most likely with six conference wins. It would be the most since I think 1977. I think yeah. that's the only time they've ever won six games yeah. in the SEC. It was in 1977. Chance to beat Tennessee two straight years, which hasn't happened since 1976, 1977. Um, and a chance to win 10 regular season games for the first time since, you guessed it, 1977. So They had some going then. Yeah, it's been a long time since they uh, have – had the chance to have a season like this. Um, and I just think, I don't, I don't know how much you'd probably have to ask every individual recruit, but I mean, you know, they've, I think Nashville is definitely an area Kentucky's looking to get involved with more. They've got a pretty good chance to lend Barry and Brown who would probably come in next year and, and be pretty heavily used if he is to sign with UK. Uh, Keaton and Destin Wade were two guys who I know Tennessee was recruiting that, that committed to UK. I mean, it's, it's a significant game for, for I think, both teams. And historically, I know that Tennessee has always had higher aspirations in the league than than just beating Kentucky because that was a given so many years. But I think where the two programs are right now, I mean, I think in terms of that SEC you know, pecking order, it's a very important game. And I think for a lot of the fan base, it depends, you know, the folks who live over on I-64 might look at Louisville as the biggest rival, but from where I was from, there was no doubt Tennessee was a team that people wanted to beat the most. And uh, I think for a lot of Kentucky's fan base, this is the one rivalry that has really bothered them because, you know, they've be- beat Florida a few times here in recent years. And, uh, but Tennessee has been one that's been tougher to crack, but last year, obviously they got the win. And I think an opportunity to have two straight wins would, would really rejuvenate the fan base again. Not to say that the fan base is, you know, giving up hope or anything, certainly not. Um, but to get juice back up and then be staring at a 10-1 season, I think it's very, very significant in that way. Yeah, and I can say this from 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 Tennessee's line of thinking is that the way that it thinks of Kentucky historically is of kind of little blue brother. That's just sort of in, in football, that's just sort of, you know, the same way Kentucky does in basketball, views Tennessee that way. You know, it's just sort of the, the view that, that they have. But in recent years, what Kentucky has done under Stoops, it's not like they've become like a splashy, huge national program, but they've very quietly just sort of gotten better more often than not. And in a league where there's just instability at like 80% of the schools, Stoops has been there for almost a decade now. And if you are a, a high school player, like let's say you're not a five-star because then everybody's going to want you, but you're one of those three-stars, you know, low four-stars, one of those guys, and normally you would just go to Tennessee. That's what you would do. You're in state. It's right there. If Tennessee wants you, you're going. Now all of a sudden you're looking at the stability in Kentucky – and you're going, that might appeal to me for some for some players and, and probably more importantly for their parents. It, it, there is an appeal to, to that, and it's still a close drive. And, and so now you've got players, and, and not just in Nashville, but like in Cincinnati, Louisville, you know, uh, other sort of places in Virginia, just, you know, places where Tennessee normally would not concern itself going head-to-head with Kentucky. When you're Tennessee, you want to be recruiting with Alabama, Georgia, Florida, those, those Auburn, those types. And Tennessee still is, to a shocking extent, been doing that for the past few years. Don't know how, but it's been doing it, I guess, just off the brand and the stadium and the, the, the history and tradition and all that. But if you're Tennessee, 
you want to be looking up at the people you're chasing and not worried about Kentucky nipping at your heels and becoming a problem. And and if you lose a couple in a row to Kentucky, you can see it as more of a significant problem. And, and I think that that's why if you're Tennessee, you feel like if you can win this game, start restoring some order, you don't have to worry about that as much again. But if Kentucky gets you again, you know, that's – I'm not saying it changes the narrative, but it makes it more complicated because now all of a sudden some of those kids that you would assume you're getting, maybe maybe you're not. Maybe those kids are convinced to go elsewhere. You know, I mean, even Tyler Barron thought about going to Kentucky, you know, <laughs> right there at Knoxville Catholic High School, big-time player, everybody wanted him. The sucker thought about going to Kentucky. So, I mean, th- th- those are things that – and it's not a Randall Cobb situation because at the end of the day he wanted to go to Tennessee, but his family loyalty – his dad told him, son, we're Cobbs, we don't break our word, we're going to Kentucky. And he said, yes, sir. And he go, we went to Kentucky. And he ended up – best decision he ever made probably because who knows what happens at Tennessee. Maybe he's the same player. Maybe he's not. The way he went to Kentucky, it worked. It, it oh, clearly worked. So that, that's why I think it's so interesting because it's not like – I mean, it's Heupel's first season, so there's a lot of things. The only thing you really couldn't forgive is like a loss to Vanderbilt. But, but So it's not like losing on the road to the 18th-ranked team in the country would be some cataclysmic disaster. But if you're Tennessee and you win this game, all of a sudden – you feel like, okay, whether it's right or not, you subjectively subjectively feel like, oh, well, we put those guys back in their place, took care of Mizzou, South Carolina. Now we can start hunting the big boys again. It's just a kind of a mentality thing. And that's why I think this is so big. And it's huge for both teams. I mean, you, you heard the stats Derek just provided. I mean, th- what's on the line for Kentucky this season? Astronomical in this game. And I got to think, and I asked Derek about this in the q and I'm going to ask him again here. As disappointed, as furious as so many Kentucky fans were last Saturday night with the way things went down in Starkville, I have to think that a visit from Tennessee the following week is probably about the best thing that could be on the schedule in terms of morale. Because you got a lot of co- players who might be frustrated, You know, a lot of fans frustrated with coaches, a lot of coaches frustrated with players. Everybody can kind of sing kumbaya and get back on the horse with the big orange in town, right? Yeah, I, I think so. <clears throat> I mean, certainly the fan base. Uh, I'd be stunned if, despite how last week played out, that the fans won't – I mean, it's been a sellout for weeks now, and I wouldn't doubt that Tennessee <clears throat> will, will bring a – you know, they, they always travel well. It's a close game outside of Vanderbilt. I'm, yeah, it's not like 50-50 like it's been at times in the past, but it'll yeah. be some be some plenty of orange in there. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's an easy trip for for I mean if you live in Knoxville or East East Tennessee, I mean it's a really easy trip to get to Lexington. So, um, but you know you get it's the third or fourth sellout for UK this year. I can't remember if they sold out the Missouri game. They definitely sold out LSU in Florida. So in that regard, yeah, I mean I think people are are going to be really excited and and again if if they are to play well, win this game. Uh, you'll still get some people at the end of the year who say, man, you know, they, they really let an opportunity slip away. You know, what bowl game might they have ended up in? You know, how long could they have stayed? And I was never a believer in the, you know, UK being a college football playoff team. But, I mean, when they start 6-0, I mean, you at least uh, – Yeah. You can at least acknowledge it. Dare, um, dare to dream, man. Dare to dream. Yeah. So, I mean, they if they still finish 10-2, and two, which I think is, is obviously the goal now. I mean, you got four games left. Um uh, 
what I'm trying to say is every UK fan, as much as they would have wanted to win both those games, uh, I cannot imagine there's a UK fan out there who would pick a win over Mississippi State over <laughs> over Tennessee. I think everyone would would much rather want to want to beat Tennessee. And uh, I, I think just for the narratives too, like you're talking about. Um, I think there's a, a, a big frustration. And I mentioned this in the column. We haven't talked about it on here, but like a, a narrative that gets thrown around a lot, a lot <laughs> on, on the Tennessee side, I think is that even in Tennessee's bad years, they still beat Kentucky And the 2018 game would be the one that you could really point to and say that, yes, that was at the time, uh, you know, UK's best team in 40, 40 years, probably mm-hmm. or no, 30 years, 30, 40 years. I'm not good. I'm, I went to journalism cause uh, I'm not good at math. So I guess 40 years. Math is stupid, to, math is stupid yeah. and sucks, but that's the thing. And I think that's probably what hasn't um, changed the overall thing. Like Tennessee, since they win most of the head to head games can still feel above UK. Although in the last five years or so, the standings wouldn't necessarily suggest that. And so I think um, being able to rattle off a few wins, like I'm of the opinion that, you know, the days of what Tennessee's won 33 out of 36, like I think those days are over. I mean, I can't project 30 years ahead, but I think, you know, Kentucky has firmly established itself now in terms of wanting to compete, renovating the stadium, building brand new facilities, paying their coaching staff more. I mean, they're trying to operate more like a, like a big time program. With the transfer portal, it's a little harder to, to just project an outlook for a program. But, Wes, I'm going to be really surprised if Kentucky's class isn't better than Tennessee's this year. And that might not mean everything. I know Tennessee's uh, – I would imagine they'll be as active yeah, as anybody. The, 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 way people have been, the way people have been able to negatively recruit against Tennessee has been huge. And, and i got to be honest, that's low-hanging fruit that a lot of people are taking because in this league, I mean, it, it's not like – with Tennessee and recruiting right now, most kids have like they narrow it down to five lists or you know their top ten, their top five, and and when they have Tennessee on that list, the coaches from a lot of the other schools can negatively recruit against Tennessee by saying, "Well, they're going to be on multi-year probation. You're never going to yada." And, and eventually, that I mean, if so many people from so many different schools are saying that to you, it's going to have an impact. Like, there's no question about it. And plus, Heupel is not like a Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, classic, you know. Mm-hmm. Or even a Jeremy Pruitt, like tenacious, ridiculous recruiter. He's not just that, that's not he develops guys. He he does things like that, and, and and so that's yeah. I mean, I don't know how Tennessee's class is going to finish. I know there's still some really big fish they could jump in there with, and we'll we'll, we'll see. But Kentucky's class, I mean, getting the four star receiver again last week. I mean, you know, big highest ranked receiver that I can remember ever going picking Kentucky. So yeah, I mean, I I think what's interesting with the portal for me, anyways, is is that Kentucky traditionally when it's at its best cycles up and and it might have a year or two where things are just okay but then that class will be juniors and seniors and all of a sudden Kentucky's kind of cycled up and gotten ready to roll I wonder now with the portal if it's gonna be harder to do that because those guys might be like well I could wait here or I could go you know to, to like a Mac or Sunbelt team or even like a Vanderbilt and I could start you know I can go to Louisville or whatever I can play immediately I just wonder if there will be, you know, some of that. But then the portal door swings both ways. I mean, we talked about all the guys Tennessee lost, but it also brought in Javante Payton, you know, Hendon Hooker, like a lot of these guys that, that are doing really big things. So I I wonder with the portal with Kentucky, ultimately if it if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but I can't figure that out yet. I guess time will tell, but 
yeah, I mean, I think Kentucky might very well end up with a better class on paper than Tennessee this year. I think, I mean, you look at Kentucky starting quarterback, best wide receiver, starting left tackle, and and starting middle linebacker are all from the portal uh, and all from you know, the Penn State, Nebraska, LSU, Ole Miss, those kind of teams. But this this cycle was very good to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, in terms of immediate help, I, a lot of those guys had some kind of connection. Not not everybody. Levis Levis had somewhat of a connection to Cohen. It was a pretty loose connection, though. I think he just went where you know it was his best opportunity was to go to an SEC team and play in a system that you know your coach is coming from the Los Angeles Rams. So you know it's easier to sell those guys on that. Um, but I just think in terms of, of this class for Kentucky, if everything breaks right, I mean it's going to be one five star in the composite with up to ten four stars, which for UK is. Uh, I added it up on our all-time, which I think is a great feature at 24-7, the all-time yes. commits. Of the top 25 all-time guys, UK could have eight from this one class, and no other no other class that they've had has ever had more than three. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this would be a – you know, a lot of these guys are recruiting. I mean, Emil Wagner mm-hmm. is a, a top 115 player. Barry and Brown, like I mentioned, top 150 guy. I mean, these are, these are guys that have Ohio State, have – Alabama. I mean, Brown was heavily recruited by Alabama. Uh, Keontae Goodwin is if he signs with Kentucky, he's committed right now, taking official visits to Alabama, Ohio State. I mean, these are real teams that they're recruiting against and and winning out for kids. So I don't know where to put the ceiling for UK football. What I would say is it was always going to be a methodical build. Had to be. Had had to be. Had to be. You had to have a guy like Stoops stay here a long time. So I don't I don't want to put a ceiling in what it could be. I'm still the belief that they're they're going to keep getting better. I mean, this I'm talking about this 22 class up until that 2020 a few years ago was the best class they had signed. So you that class had a lot of guys. I mean, Kentucky and Tennessee went head to head for several kids in that class. Justin Rogers, who's going to be starting Saturday at mm-hmm. Noseguard, uh, chose Kentucky over Tennessee. Octavius Oxenon, who's out for the season, another kid yeah. that they Tennessee wanted him bad. So I mean. They, they've done better. That's, that's going to be the thing next year is I'm sure the – I don't know how far they'll drop in the preseason polls, but after 2018, everybody looked at it and said, oh, they're losing Josh Allen, they're losing Benny Snell, they're losing Mike Edwards, they're going to fall back down to, to what they had been. And then they won eight games the next year. Last year was weird with the COVID year, but they still won a bowl game. And then this year, I think minimum they're going to win nine games. So, I mean, that's – that's for Kentucky, it's, I mean, really a golden era. But I think for any team that, that isn't – Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, you're expecting to win national titles every year. That's a pretty good sustained run. And I think when you keep kind of elevating yourself, keep showing kids that you can come here, you can go to the NFL if you play football at Kentucky. They've broken a lot of the embarrassing streaks that have yep. held them down over the years. Won a Neyland last year, yeah. Yeah, I mean, had a, you know, they've beat Florida twice in four years, beat Tennessee on the road last year. There's a lot of momentum still. Um and, I mean, you think about Florida right now, it seems like they're about to go through another phase of <laughs> potential instability with all the heat Mullins are getting. But I think that works in Tennessee's favor, too. I mean, Hypo's shown f- from what I thought they would be, they're certainly better than what I expected. Yeah, a lot, um, a lot better than I expected to be. To I be think you can see uh, an, an avenue there where they can quickly climb back up. But the way that Georgia's recruiting, I mean, it seems like they might have a stranglehold on the East for a long time. If, as long as Kirby's there, and I mean, who knows? I mean, yeah. oh, things change a lot, but uh, 
Well, the, the the right hire at Florida changes the entire division in like a year and a it half. It does. Um, yeah. Because Florida should just recruit itself. That should just – and Miami and Florida State are not in great places right now either. That that should not be a problem for, for those guys. But I, I think what's interesting is if Kentucky – before we talk about hoops here at the very end, I, th- I think what's interesting is – and this is from the outside looking in at Kentucky. I mean, you know, half of my family are are, are big blue, basically. I mean, that's where my mom's people are Eastern Kentucky people. Um, so, so I do, and they're right, just a couple hours up the road. So, I mean, I, I follow Kentucky quite a bit and see quite a lot of things. And I just wonder, but I'm not still, I'm not inside the program, obviously. So, so I think if you can find a way, because for years Kentucky didn't have a spine. It had some flash. It had sizzle. It didn't have a spine. Now it's got a spine because Stoops has – they've brought in guys. they developed guys on both sides of the line of scrimmage. They've turned some three-star types into NFL players. They've, now they're recruiting some better players to begin with. But they don't have to develop quite as much. They've got the spine now. What they don't have is the sizzle. They don't have – so if they can find a way, now that they've gotten the thing structured again, if they can just add a little salt, pepper in it, put a little spice in it, you know, then you got something. But it's just – that's something that's really easy for guys like us to say, and it's really hard to do. Like we've said for years with Tennessee in the past, my God, if they just had a quarterback. Well, those guys are hard to recruit. I mean, you know, you just Tennessee signed a whole bunch of four- and five-star quarterbacks that everybody wanted. They didn't work out. So it's just hard to – it's easy to say things from this perspective, from behind this side of the microphone. It's a lot harder to go out there and do it. So, But I, I'm, I'm – I mean, I got nothing. I tip my cap all the time to what Stoops has done up there, even though he did look like Butch Jones last week with uh, some of the sideline ranting and <laughs> staring and pouting. And it was it's like, my God, did someone give Butch a, a blue hat? What's going on here? Um, but it, but seriously, I, I think if they can keep hold of him uh, and he can innovate that offense and kind of put some salt and pepper in that offense and get something going, keep the defense solid, develop guys, yeah, they could. There's no reason why they can't be a solid program, especially because Louisville's kind of meh right now. And and other than everybody kind of knows that other than Louisville, Kentucky's non-conference schedule every year, they build it because for years they were trying to get to six wins. So you do that by scheduling, you know, lower level MAC teams and and people like that. That's how that's how you get to six wins traditionally if you're Kentucky. So I'm not hating on them for that. They're they're doing what they got to do. Um, and it's not their fault that Louisville's not been as good lately. It's not their fault that Lamar Jackson's not there anymore. So I, I, I think that, long story short, I do think that that this game is not the end-all, be-all, but it's 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 big. And and Kentucky's got a lot more to lose than Tennessee does in this one. Uh, and and to be candid, I just don't love the matchups for Kentucky, and it has nothing to do with which team is better than the other one because on paper, Kentucky in a lot of ways is better. I just the matchups in this game. Tennessee does a. Tennessee is good in a lot of places where Kentucky can't do maybe a ton about it. So Kentucky's going to have to absolutely. If, if Kentucky clobbers Tennessee up front, if it clobbers that Tennessee offensive line, because Tennessee still might be starting a walk on at right tackle, it might be. You know, the, the, we know how thin Tennessee is up front offensively. If Kentucky can badger that offensive line and just that's how you stop this sort of, you know, Art Bryles. Uh, Josh Heupel kind of offense. You know, Herb Street, Herb Street said it for years. The only way you beat an offense like this is to beat the crap out of it up front. If you don't, it's going to beat you because it's it, that's how it's designed. So, But before we get out of here, Derek, I, I do want to ask about basketball because we know, amazingly, seven years since Kentucky's been to the Final Four, it just sounds sort of – with, with John Calipari as the coach to not be at the Final Four for that many years, it kind of seems like what in the hell is happening? Um, but we've said this before and been wrong about it. 
looks like Kentucky's put back a, a group that should be should be pretty good this year. Tennessee brought in a great class too. I mean, Tennessee brought in what like the number three or so class tied for the third class nationally. Brought in a bunch. And Justin Powell, the transfer from Auburn, a Kentucky native, who's a really good player. Um, but it, you know, there's a lot of good teams in the SEC this year. You got your your Tennessees, Alabamas, Arkansas, and then Kentucky. I think is back to being pretty good. What do you think? Yeah, I think they'll be. Uh, I think they'll be fine. I mean, for for you know, coming off what they did last year, I think they'll obviously much be much improved. Um, that that shouldn't be hard to do, considering you only won nine games uh, last season. But you know, they definitely built it a different way. This this team only has three true freshmen. Well, not say true freshmen. I'm caught up in football. Uh, three freshmen on the team. Yeah. Who I mean, I think they all help. Uh, Ty Ty Washington might be the best player on the team before the year's over, but they're, it's a different Cal team, at least at UK. I mean, they're older. Um, they got several guys who have, who have played a ton of basketball. Davion Mintz, I think is, I think Davion Mintz and, uh, Kellen Grady are both 24 years old and, uh, they've both been in school for, I mean, this is Davion's sixth year. Kellen, I think this is his fifth year. It was a 2000 point score at Davidson. We'll see how he fits in at UK, but Xavier Wheeler was one of the better point guards in the SEC last year. Love, love, He's been one of my favorite under the radar dudes in the league for years. I, since he, I saw that dude as a freshman, I was like, I freaking love this kid. I like that guy a lot. They, uh, I mean, they've got pieces. I, what I wonder about this team, I mean, there's still some significant holes. I would say they are going to try to play a little bit more four out, one in, uh, and they have the they have the the uh, personnel to do that. I mean, I think they have a lot of guys who can score. It should be, we say it a lot, but like this legitimately should be Cal's best three-point shooting team. So they're going to be different, but like, you know, uh, against Kentucky Wesleyan the other night, there was a kid for uh, for those guys who had 29 points against them and uh, just really kind of tore them up on the interior. So she weighs a good physical presence down there, but finding someone else who can, you know, provide some defense in the post is uh, going to be a real question mark. I personally don't look at this team and 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 view it as a Final Four type team, but we've seen with the NCAA tournament, you know, you just got to get in and anything can happen. Um, but I think with the coaching staff changes that he made after last season, their 22 class, they got the number one player in the country and Shaden Sharp coming in. Uh, he's actually supposed to be – well, the rumor is he's going to be enrolling uh, mid-year. He won't play this season, but he'll be on campus and, you know, you hope that you have a potential number one overall pick type talent yeah. leading next year's team. But I think 2023 is where you'll really see those uh, hires pay off there. I, I think they'll get back to pushing for the number one class that year. Um, but you'll have to, I think they'll still have to use the transfer portal. I think it's already guaranteed. They're going to have to use the portal next year to get a big man. Um, and they got some guys who could go their way. I guess what I would say this team versus some others is I, you don't outside of Ty Ty Washington. I don't think you look at anyone and just say, "Okay, this guy's a guaranteed surefire NBA player, NBA draft pick." They have a lot of guys who I think have been solid college players, but this year, and I've never been one of those people who who think thinks Cal's not a good coach who just rolls the ball out. I mean, he he's a better coach than he gets credit for, especially defensively. He is a very, very, yeah. very good defensive basketball coach. But he'll have to – I mean, I think his decisions in terms of who he plays, how, how guys develop, I do think he'll have to do – like what I guess I'm trying to say is I don't think this is a team, at least as of now, this could change. I don't look at this and say there are seven guys on this team who are just clearly better than anyone else. Like has been this – like in some of the teams in the past were the 2012 national title team, like you knew who the six best players were on that mm-hmm. team and they had to play a ton because yeah. they were just 
so much better. I think this team has some more guys that are a little bit more equal. Maybe, you know, maybe Tata develops into that star, but otherwise it seems to me like a group of a lot of solid players, but who kind of steps up? Is, is there someone who leads them? I think there's a lot of questions to answer. And in that regard, I think it will be a rather, it'll be a different Kentucky basketball season than what we're used to. Just, uh, just with the experience and the fact that, you know, I see how some guys develop or take over. But how have you this team in November? I mean, certainly by the time February gets here, I'm sure I'll think much different about them. Yeah, there, there's a lot of newness around right now. Like in Tennessee's exhibition game, Tennessee shot 46 three-pointers, which wow. for perspective, Tennessee averaged 19 per game last year, never shot more than 28 in a game. And usually any time a Rick Barnes team shot more than about 25 threes, you could just see the smoke coming out of his ears. Like it's just not – he, not the kind of basketball he loves, but he's recruited a team that has a bunch of shooters now, uh, including bringing in Powell. Then you got, you know, Vescovi, you know, uh, Chandler James is now healthy and he can shoot again. Pretty much everyone on the team, but Fulkerson and Plofsic kind of has a green light to just go. And they shot 46 threes, and Barnes said he only did not like three of them. And I honestly, like, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Sitting, sitting in that press conference, I almost wanted to fall out of my chair. Like, what just happened? Did that? What? 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 So, and it'll be different when Fulkerson's healthy and back here in a, in a week or so. We'll, we'll see. But it's interesting because I think, I think people may have, in some ways, last year teams that had a bunch of one and done types or a bunch of freshmen, a bunch of young guys struggled, and a lot of the blue blood bloods struggled because. They didn't have the time that's so crucial to them to build a team. That's why you probably saw, you know, the Dukes, North Carolinas, Kentuckys, Kansases. They were not good last year. Also, the reason probably why Tennessee wasn't as good because Tennessee had two one and done guards who, you know, like the game at Rupp. Man, they look like it. Um, but at times, they just they couldn't get the thing together. Fulkerson had COVID fatigue. Then he gets knocked out, you know, with those cheap shots, and they just they just in the tournament, and they just they just never put the whole thing together. But but this year I think people actually might be underselling what Tennessee has because a lot of those guys are back and this team has three or four pretty good options um, at pretty much all five spots. So I think it's – I don't know that it's like a title contending team or anything, but it's a really good basketball team and I think people might be underselling that. But you know what? Uh, Auburn – I mean, I'm sorry, Arkansas – Still looks really good. Uh, Alabama with Oates, man, he's had a hell of a week recruiting. He and those guys, the way they play, man, they're good. Um, even though John Petty will be is gone after seventeen seasons, but you know, there's there's a lot of interest. Florida's always got some players. You know, uh, you've got you know at State, you got a good coach there. Um, you know, at least a solid coach. Um, other than like you know Georgia, which can be pretty bad. Vandy could could struggle too. Um, there's a lot of good teams in this. South Carolina's kind of in a tough spot, but there's a, a lot of pretty good teams in this league. Even teams like Ole Miss, where I've always said that guy's a hell of a coach. So, should be a fun year in the SEC. Have you have you been able to handicap it at all yet? What you think might happen at SEC hoops? Yeah, I had to do our whole basketball yearbook. So I feel uh, at least I did. Uh, I did some teams. Me and another guy split the SEC teams, but. Uh... I think those teams you mentioned, one of the teams, I, I like Mississippi State's roster a lot. Yeah, I think they're one of the teams that are slept on a little bit. I can't remember where they were even picked in the preseason. Um, I mean, I, I think I, I agree with you on Tennessee. I mean, I thought last year they would have been better. But, you know, like you said, I think that's a throwaway year. And I'm not just saying that because UK went 9-16. and 16. Like, that was just an odd – very odd season. I think that UK team last year would have struggled even in a normal year. I don't think they would have been historically bad. Uh, 
but I think they would have been still one of Cal's weaker teams. But this UK team, I mean, I've kind of projected it around like 23 and eight in the regular season, something like that. So, I mean, uh, that should have a chance, I would think, to, to win the SEC with, with kind of the depth of talent. Um, I think I think O's have to do a good job coaching this year uh, to get Alabama back to the same place. I, I like Tennessee's roster. I've, I've always kind of liked Josiah Jordan-James. And uh, I just is – did I get all his names yeah. in the correct order? Correct okay. order. You got you got Triple That's J good. right in order. Yeah. A lot of J's. Uh, well, I mean, the, the, then, uh, well, I mean, the Chandler kid is just unbelievable. Chandler well, yeah, is – like, I think that was UK's top point guard option last year. Uh, I think it's a kid they really wanted. And He, uh, you know, he, he plays with people. It's, it's, he's, I mean, I don't think I've seen the kid sweat. Like he's, he's good. And Huntley Hatfield was a lot better in a game than he was ever was in practice. I tell you that much when they put, when they put the lights on for the game, I was like, Oh, that's why you're a five-star. So yeah, I mean, a lot of, yeah, lot he of was an there. interesting kid. Cause I thought, you know, for a long time, people thought he was going to come to UK. And then I, my understanding was UK kind of, I don't know why they cut ties there, but they, um, ultimately went a different direction. He reclassified, ended up at Tennessee. I thought I talked to you about it some last year, especially after that UK game and, and Knoxville that UK won. Like I know Fulkerson is beloved down there. He's a solid college player. I mean he, he gave UK the business and rep uh back in two thousand right before the pandemic. I think yeah. it was the last or the next last game they played right before the pandemic. I mean he he dominated. But what Tennessee, I think, has really lacked is that overall athleticism, the the, the really skilled bigs that you know UK is yeah really been able to enjoy over the years. I thought that's kind of Tennessee's next step because last year they had the guards. Like you mentioned, they had uh, other talented players. Pons was a very good player for for a number of years for Tennessee. So I've always uh, – I've been to most, not all, but I've been to most SEC basketball stadiums. I mean, Thompson Bowling Arena is by far, uh, in my opinion. Arkansas is really good too. Yeah, Arkansas. Arkansas has got a really good uh, venue. But Tennessee, I mean, and I've only been there when they played Kentucky, so I don't know what it's like every night. But when they play UK, I mean, that place is a great college bat no, basketball it, it, atmosphere. It, it, it's like that a majority of the time now. I mean, not not to the level it is for UK, but for most SEC games, and it's it's like the season ticket numbers are up, like they sell out a lot. It's 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 a it's a raucous yeah. place. You know, I forgot about uh, Viscovi too. So I mean, there's some depth there. Uh, Victor Bailey, Tennessee Victor Bailey's year. there too. I mean, yeah, this should be a good team for sure. I mean. I don't know how I would – I don't have a vote anyway to pick the preseason. I, I know UK, it's – they're always going to kind of get the benefit of the doubt just because they've won so many SEC championships. Sure. But I don't I don't know that I would have picked UK to be the, the absolute best team. But with that said, I don't I don't know that there was a – there's probably not a clear case to be made for anybody this year. I think every team has a, a decent number of question marks to, to kind of decide. But with that said, I do think uh, – I, I think it – it's great that the SEC is much better than it used to be. I can remember Cal's first few years there. I mean, it was it was really hard to even get quality wins within their own conference. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I mean, those those conference games are going to matter when it comes to seeding. I think winning the SEC this year, the regular season, will be a great accomplishment for whoever does it. And winning the SEC tournament, I think, uh, you know, Kentucky's won so many that those things don't probably get celebrated as much as they should in my opinion tennessee never wins them it's got like the second most wins in the sec (laughs) all time and it just just doesn't win that tournament just doesn't do it well it's just what happens whenever you i think fans get used to winning something and uh you know you kind of take it for granted but it's been it's been a few years now since kentucky's won one and uh you know i think it'd be a great accomplishment for whoever does that and if, if you can win the sec this year i mean i think you're probably looking at I mean, maybe there's so much parity that every team has a number of losses, but I would think you're you're probably going to be slated pretty high in 
that was always that's always kind of been the goal for any team. You want to try to give yourself the easiest path possible to a Final Four, and the higher you're seated theoretically, that should be the best way to go. So uh, I am looking forward to it. I I am much more of a I mean, I'll just, I'll just love SEC football. It's, it's what I really enjoy covering and writing about. But with the SEC getting better, I mean, that's really the way UK is scheduled. I mean, a lot of the good opponents who are going to come to Rupp Arena are going to be in the conference. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm an SEC basketball junkie. I always have been. Even, even you know, the, the, the basketball culture at Tennessee has never really been fully – I think respected nationally for what it is, but I, I grew up in this around this area, and and I've just it's they think this thing like if SEC basketball gets as good as I think it can be, I'm gonna be one of those hipsters who's like, man, I was in this at the beginning, <laughs> man. Like I was, dude, I knew about this band before you even were born. Like I just I loved it when this was bad. Like I, I just I, I love SEC hoops, and I prefer covering hoops to football. That's no secret. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. It's it's gonna be a, a really fun year, and I bet we'll have you on again during basketball season at some point to talk about it. So, Derek, man, we've taken entirely too much of your time, way more than I thought we were going to, um, but I, I appreciate you joining us. And, uh, man, thanks. Before you get out of here, just tell people how they can get a hold of you, your stuff, your site, all that. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Derek S. Terry. It's D-E-R-E-K. Um, and then, you know, Uh If you really want to read some other stories, we have a print magazine, yeah. uh, which is, you know, that's technically my employer is uh, Paxton Media. And we've been in business for over 40 years. So you can go to, I think, just, if you just Google uh cat's paws print magazine you'll, you'll get the page to actually buy some things we have i mean it's very much geared towards uk fans obviously but some kind of classic stuff and our, our basketball yearbook though i do think would be something tennessee fans would enjoy i mean some of it is focused on uk but a lot of it is, is not a lot of it is sec based you know we do um, local colleges too um things like that it's uh our grand production and it's on sale now you can order it on the website but if you're going to see anything I write, it's most likely going to be uh, through a Twitter link going to catspaws.com. So at Derek S. Terry is where you can follow me on Twitter. There you go, man. Thanks so much for being here, Derek. And uh, we will uh, we will see you soon, man. We'll see you soon. All right. Appreciate it. You know what, guys? If I can find that button. Where is that button? Where is that button? There it is. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Thanks again to Derek for joining us, and thank you to y'all for listening. You can find all of us on Twitter, all of us on the staff. I'm Wes Rucker, 24-7 on Twitter. Patrick Brown's P. Brown, 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan, 24-7 on Twitter. And again, if you want to follow the guest who just joined us on this episode, you can get him at twitter.com slash Derek S. Terry. You can go, if you just want Tennessee news on your feed, nothing else, go get that at twitter.com slash govals247 and go to facebook.com slash govals247 where you can get tons of stuff throughout the day, all day, every day. That thing's at least every hour, all day, every day. Something going on there at facebook.com slash govals247. But if you want the best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water right from the tap, Go to GoVols247.com, the best site on all of Al Gore's internets for coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball. Tongue going on with those guys these days. Lady Vols coverage, where the award-winning Maria Cornelius covers all things Lady Vols for us all year long. We cover women's sports, and we're serious about it, and we mean it. And uh, Maria does just an awesome job covering all that stuff for us. You can get two forms that run around the clock all day, every day. You got the checkerboard and the summit, where you can go 24 hours a day, seven days a week, talk to thousands of Tennessee fans across the world about any topic that is not religious or political in nature. Those are the two no-go zones. Everything else, though, you want to talk about it, 
go talk about it. We're there 24 hours a day. Our, our members, our subscribers, we're there all the time. Tennessee fans across the world, every time zone. Just go to GoVoss247.com. You can get that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month. And if you pay that that price of less than one mediocre lunch per month after a seven-day free trial, you get access in perpetuity to Paramount Plus, which used to be CBS All Access. Now it's Paramount Plus, and that is a $100-plus annual value streaming stuff that we will give you for free. That's every show CBS has ever done, commercial-free, tons of exclusive stuff like Evil, Star Trek, Picard, uh, Mary Kingstown, all these great Paramount Plus exclusive shows, a couple of Yellowstone spinoffs that are coming down the pike tons and tons of you know there's blockbuster movies on there stuff that you can only get on paramount plus stuff that was bought by paramount plus made by paramount plus you know tons and tons and tons of stuff on there plus live sports so you get uh, tennessee sports sec sports uh, nfl pga tour uh, uefa champions league uefa europa league world cup qualifying Serie A goes on and on and on plus stuff um from the directly from the vaults of uh, CBS, obviously, and from MTV, BET, Nickelodeon, Smithsonian, Comedy Central, something for the whole family. That's a $100 annual value plus that we give you for free. So basically what I'm trying to tell you is in an area where you're having problems with some supply chain stuff, you can get this instantly. And it's $500 worth of stuff basically for like 100 bucks. Go to GoBoss247.com or go to CatsPaws.com. Go there, check it out. You'll want to stay. I promise you, you will. If nothing else, guys, you should hear from us uh, Thursday, maybe Friday, probably Thursday as usual uh, with with a regular Thursday edition of this podcast. And uh, until then, uh, just be nice to each other. Practice some basic human empathy. That's my new thing. Be kind to each other or at least try it. Try it on for size. See ya.